Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Locked On Nittany Alliance here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire, and all the time we are talking some Penn State sports right here on this podcast for you. We do this episode actually three days a week at a minimum, but I think we're going to have a bonus episode thrown in there at some point this week, so stay tuned for all of that. Now, of course, we have a lot to get into in today's episode. It's going to be a fun episode because we're actually going to share a segment from the Locked On Podcast Network's mock draft that is beginning today. So make sure you check that out and we'll throw that up for you in our third segment. Before we get to that, we'll go through some news and notes from over the last couple of days with Penn State football. Some big news on the recruiting trail and a nice little comeback from the transfer portal. We'll talk about that in our opening segment. In our second segment, we're going to talk about that 1994 Penn State team as we continue to take a look at some of the best teams in school history. I had some plans for that segment. I'm going to have to call it audible there, but we're still going to talk about one of my favorite teams in Penn State history. We try offering you as many ways to stay connected with our podcast as possible. The best way to do that is to subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcasting apps, such as iTunes and Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can also tell your home smart devices to play the Locked on Nittany Lions podcast on the Tuned In app. And don't forget, you can follow us and send us your questions at any time on Twitter at Locked on Nittany. You can give us a thumbs up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked on Nittany. And don't forget, we have a brand new Instagram account where we'll throw up some audio clips from every podcast and we'll throw up some other fun stuff as well. You can follow us on Instagram at Locked on Nittany. Don't forget, we will have a Twitch channel coming out later this week, so stay tuned for that. We also have the YouTube channel, so we offer so many ways for you to stay connected with our podcast. Uh, no matter what you may be doing, if you're stuck at home and you need a distraction, we'll try to be here for you in as many different ways as possible. So with all that out of the way, guys, let's go ahead and get... There's been no shortage of good news for Penn State over the last couple of days. As far as the recruiting goes and the transfer portal news, all things were pretty good since our last podcast on Friday when we actually got a chance to discuss one of the latest additions to the recruiting class of 2021. Since then, we have seen Penn State add on three more recruits to that same recruiting class, and one player has decided to take his name out of the transfer portal and stay put at Penn State. So let's kind of work in reverse here. Let's start with that transfer portal news. Coming from Shaka Tony, uh, really breakout defensive lineman, lots of potential for another big season this upcoming year, whenever that happens to be. He has announced that he is going to stay at Penn State. Remember, earlier this offseason, he entered his name into the transfer portal. And the way the transfer portal works is once you enter your name in there, you are able to uh, have communication with every option that's out there that's interested in recruiting you to their college football program. And not every player ends up leaving once they enter the transfer portal. It's certainly not unprecedented. Certainly at Penn State, we've seen this be the case. But more often than not, I think that players do end up moving to a new location for whatever reason. And the decision by Shaka Tony to stay at Penn State is certainly good news for a defensive line that continues to be one of, I think, the strongest units that Penn State has to offer. I think the defensive line production that Penn State has had over the years has really kind of uh, taken the forefront as far as the focus of the defense, you know, Penn State likes to be considered linebacker you, but I've been saying for a while now, the defensive line is where it's at for Penn State. That's where the, the true stars, I think, are being formed uh, as far as the defense is concerned. So Shaka Tota coming back is obviously a plus because you get some uh, you get some consistency. You get a guy with a 
certainly a good amount of experience and ready to take the charge once again on that defensive line. So I see nothing but great news here uh, as far as Shaka Tony deciding to stay at Penn State. Gives them one more solid defensive lineman they can count on going into the new season. Now, of course, there was some big news on the recruiting trail. Again, at the end of last week, we just touched on the latest edition at the time of safety Jalen Reed coming out of Michigan, a nice little four-star prospect to really kind of continue to boost Penn State's uh, recruiting efforts. And, of course, on the heels of that, we kind of anticipated that Friday could potentially be uh, more uh, positive news on the Penn State recruiting trail, and that was certainly the case. It started with the commitments of twins Kalen King, a cornerback, and Kobe King, an inside linebacker, Friday, again, out of the state of Michigan. Kalen King, a four-star recruit on the recruiting boards, according to 24-7 Sports, uh, again, a cornerback, and Kobe King, a three-star uh, linebacker. Good additions. It continues to bolster that defensive uh, recruiting focus, and uh, that's a nice way to follow up the addition of Jalen Reed. So you got three solid players out of the state of Michigan. Uh, so that really started to kind of turn where this Penn State recruiting effort is going and you know, kind of calm some of the nerves that people were having because there were some early stumbles uh, with the recruiting trail. But things seem to be forming pretty well for this Penn State recruiting class. But again, that was topped by yet another addition to that recruiting class with Zachy Wheatley, a four-star athlete out of Maryland. You can play safety and wide receiver. Having him commit to Penn State uh, really kind of set Penn State into a really good spot heading into the weekend. So in the span of roughly 48 hours, Penn State picked up four new players, three of them four-star players, uh, and another three-star uh, player that could certainly uh, play a role at that linebacker position. So that was a nice couple of days for Penn State. And, of course, they had Landon Tangwell a little bit more recently uh, added to that to bolster that offensive line production as well. So Penn State seems to be recruiting just fine right now. So I think uh, the way that the recruiting rankings are looking, you can see that uh, you know maybe it was a little bit of a slow start. But things are certainly picking up and putting Penn State in a really good spot. To to put that into perspective, Penn State had been ranked, I think, number 38, I want to say, in the 24-7 composite rankings uh, as earlier as of this time last week. I think that's around where they were. And since these latest additions have come in and been thrown into the equation, Penn State's now up to number 14 in the overall national rankings for according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings which, of course, averages all the different recruiting rankings that are out there across the services, including 24-7's own rankings. I usually go by those composite rankings because it's a nice general overview of how the Penn State recruiting class is being compared to other recruiting classes. Now, if you look at the Big Ten rankings, Penn State has moved up to number six. They moved up three spots over the last few days. Uh, they moved just ahead of Michigan, who's now number seven at this moment. Of course, everybody's chasing Ohio State, but there are some schools that are ranked ahead of Penn State in these uh, Big Ten rankings that you don't anticipate will stay ahead of Penn State, but you just never know. Uh, some of those schools include Rutgers, Maryland, and Iowa. I think Wisconsin was ahead of them as well. Uh, so some of those schools you anticipate Penn State should be able to pass by the time that the recruiting classes are finalized. And again, we don't want to get too carried away. Uh, certainly, uh, you see that Mike Loxley at Maryland is doing some good things, but Penn State has long landed some really good players out of the state of Maryland. 
And of course, Rutgers with Greg Schiano has been uh, having a nice little sizzle to get that recruiting uh, path started with the Scarlet Knights. Again, Greg Schiano was expected to bring a little bit of a flash, at least early on. We'll see if that can continue. But as far as Penn State is concerned, uh, they are putting together a pretty nice class. Now, we'll see where this goes from here. But certainly, if you look at the national rankings, you can see that Penn State has already put together a really nice class. If they can keep it all together by the time that these players are all officially signed, uh, that would be good. Well, that would be good because uh, you know, having the number 14 class certainly is more than respectable. Uh, obviously, there's still some room to, to pad that recruiting ranking a little bit. And you know that some of the schools that are ranked lower in the rankings, like Alabama, are certainly going to surge at some point. So we'll see. You know, Penn State having a top 15 class, as we've discussed previously on the podcast, puts them in a really good spot to win a lot of football games in the future under James Franklin. So things are going well, I think, for Penn State recruiting. You know, obviously it's not on the Ohio State's level at this point in time, but you're certainly taking some strides forward to adding some good talent and potential to your program. And that's really what recruiting is all about, in keeping that pipeline moving and moving forward. And I think Penn State is doing a pretty good job of that. The Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special is officially underway. Be sure to check out the Mock Draft every day this week on Locked On NFL. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow Locked On NFL on Spotify. We're continuing to take a look back at some of the best seasons in Penn State history. And the season that really stands out to me, the season that really grabbed my attention and made me a Penn State fan along the way to becoming uh, someone who's involved in covering and, and talking about college football on a regular basis is that 1994 Penn State team. Now, rather than go through every game of the season like we did last week with the 2005 season, I just want to kind of reflect on some of my experiences with that team. Now, you got to keep in mind, when I was growing up, I wasn't really much of a sports fan until 1993. And that's when my hometown Philadelphia Phillies went on this surprise run to a division title, the National League Championship, and a spot in the World Series before my early sports dreams were crushed by Joe Carter and the Toronto Blue Jays. But that 1993 Philly season is really what got me into sports as a whole. Now, at the same time, Penn State was going through their first season in the Big Ten. And they were expected to come into the conference uh, being one of those Eastern independents that was a little bit of a powerhouse. Some people expected that Penn State was just going to have their way with the Big Ten early on. And that wasn't necessarily the case in 1993. It was a good debut season for the Nittany Lions in the Big Ten, but they lost a home game to Michigan. They lost on the road against Ohio State. It was still a really good team. It was a really good season in the grand scheme of things. But it kind of set the tone for the not necessarily a revenge situation in 1994, but it kind of set the bar high. You know, Entering the conference, they didn't know, quite know what to expect, but they saw that they weren't going to be a team that was just going to bully everybody over the way that some people probably anticipated, uh, at least for the most part, going into that 1993 season. So 1994 comes around, and they bring back a lot of the star players from that 1993 team, like a quarterback in Kerry Collins, they had Kyle Brady at tight end, Kajana Carter at running back, Bobby Yangram, a wide receiver. There was a lot of really good ingredients on that Penn State team coming into the 1994 season, which is why they started the year with some lofty expectations. They were a top 10 team going into the season. And 
it took a few weeks for that to become the case where Penn State was going to be a legitimate national title contender. And some of the things that happened along the way is obviously some other teams took some losses that helped Penn State move up the rankings as they continued to just flat out dominate everybody they were playing. Uh, of course, the game that really set the bar for Penn State was their trip to Michigan, where Michigan was one of those top five caliber teams coming into the season. Uh, they certainly had the expectation of being a Big Ten title contender. And I think by the time that that Penn State-Michigan game came around, that figured to be the Big Ten championship game. Remember, Michigan had already scored a huge win on the road against a number three Notre Dame team very early in the season, but they followed that up with a stunning home loss to Colorado. Of course, the, the Cordell Stewart Hail Mary heard around Ann Arbor and for years to come. And that was one of the signature moments of that college football season. But of course, it kind of led to a team like Penn State becoming the team to beat in the Big Ten. Remember, Penn State was already smashing everybody that they were facing in Big Ten play, but going on the road and playing probably their their toughest opponent of the season and coming out of Ann Arbor with a victory a year after Michigan had won the first ever meeting between the two in Happy Valley, it looked like this was going to be a really good series for years to come. And it hasn't quite necessarily panned out that way, but it was certainly a lot of fun those first couple of years and it really got the juices flowing for uh, where Penn State was going as far as that Big Ten is concerned. Remember, uh, Penn State was uh, on the road against a very good Michigan team, and that's the game that set them to number one in the, the AP poll. Now, it didn't last very long because Nebraska would eventually continue to do their thing. Uh, they took care of that same Colorado team that stunned Michigan, and that helped catapult Nebraska back into the number one position. And unfortunately for Penn State, they never relinquished that number one spot. Now, Penn State had a couple close calls that they should have uh, probably avoided if they were going to make a stronger case for some number one consideration. We all remember the Indiana game, which was much closer than it should have been because Indiana just did what Indiana does and get some garbage time TDs to really make the final score look much closer than it probably should have been. But of course, the Illinois game being down 21 nothing in the, the end of the first quarter, that was flat out stunning but the way that Penn State battled back to that, to get that win that's one that I've, I take a, a lot of fond memories in because we actually were watching that game at home on TV and I don't know if it was halftime or uh, somewhere you know, shortly into the second half but my family actually decided to go to the mall get some dinner and that was very unlike something that my dad would do because my dad would watch every game uh, but if we were for whatever reason leaving the house while Penn State was playing the VCR was set and so he could watch the rest of that game now he tried to avoid the results as much as possible uh, we didn't know what was happening in that game but we were in I think the electronics boutique or maybe it was Babbage's. I don't remember which store it was, but it was one of those two stores at the Granite Run Mall in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. And we're in the store and he's still, my dad is still doing a really good job of avoiding any information about the game. Remember, we don't have the internet on our phones. We're not following everything as it happens minute by minute, second by second, even when we're away from a TV. So it's a much different world, but it's a, so it's a little easier to avoid the, the results of games. But some employee comes out of the back room and says that Penn State just uh, either tied it or won the game. And my dad is in disbelief. Now, obviously, it's good disbelief. You want you, It's a much better uh, breaking of the, the information than he would have probably anticipated. But you know, we go home and we watch that game on the VHS and uh, just to see it for ourselves. And that is probably the signature moment for that Penn State team because it's showed how 
how talented they could be, how much they could exploit at any given time. They could find ways to score uh, not using some of their star players. Remember, it was Brian Milne who scored the, the, the key touchdown of that game. So I, th- I think that just goes to show that that was a team that could not be counted out. Even as good as of a defensive team as that Illinois team was, especially in that game, uh, there, was, there was just no stopping this Penn State team. Now, when I originally got a chance to put together the segment for this 1994 team, I really wanted to go back to whatifsports.com and do a whole series that we were going to run all week long, kind of running through a simulated season strictly of games between Penn State and Nebraska. Unfortunately, when I went to go do that, what if sports only goes back to 1996 for Penn State? So I couldn't do that, unfortunately. I still say to this day that if Penn State and Nebraska were to play head-to-head, Nebraska probably has the better overall team, but I think there is no way that Nebraska would have scored or stopped Penn State from scoring as often as they needed to in the majority of the meetings that they could have potentially had. You know, maybe Nebraska wins some. I'm sure they would because that was a really good Nebraska team. Let's not take too much away from what Nebraska did. But I do think that Penn State would have absolutely scored on that Nebraska team just the way they did against Michigan, just the way they did against Ohio State with 63 points, um, just the way they could have uh, eventually found their rhythm the way they did against Illinois. Nebraska probably could have stopped. Nebraska had the better defense. But Penn State had the better overall offense. And there were some good players on that Nebraska offense. I'm not discrediting that. Tommy Frazier, man, uh, he's he's tough to beat. And that Penn State defense was not one of the best. We saw that in the Rose Bowl uh, against the Oregon Ducks. But I do feel as though, you know, if you had to say that Nebraska was going to have to hold Penn State to under 20 points, that wasn't going to happen. If they had to hold them to under 30 points... All right, we have a very special treat for you today on our podcast because we're going to play the first portion of the 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. This project is the culmination of every host on the Locked On Podcast Network's NFL channel and many of the hosts on the college channel. And I will say I am a part of this at some point in time. You'll have just have to tune in to see exactly when I pop in, but I will make an appearance somewhere along the way. It includes insights from the Draft Network, from the hosts of Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Dudes. This mock draft isn't a predictive draft. The hosts aren't necessarily selecting who they think the teams will pick on April 23rd when the NFL draft is underway. Instead, what they're doing is picking who they want their teams to select on draft day. So every host of the NFL drafts, NFL shows uh, is going to say who they want the Indianapolis Colts to pick, who they want the Philadelphia Eagles to pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers to pick. So they're, Or maybe they're going to trade those picks. We're going to see what the hosts of the NFL shows want their teams to do when it comes time to make their draft picks so all 32 nfl teams are featured even the teams without a first round selection the mock draft special started on friday april 10th and it's airing all the way through friday april 17th so be sure to subscribe to locked on nfl on apple Podcasts or follow on spotify so you don't miss a single show and if you do you just have to go back into the archive so without any further ado here's the 2020 locked on nfl mock draft special They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm drafting number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here. So accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change 
wherever. Become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to the 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. Brian Peacock here alongside former NFL scout Matt Williamson. We will take you through the first round plus in a network-wide mock draft. All 32 teams represented, even those without first-round picks. Hosts making picks for the teams they cover. Our friends from the college side of the network with profiles on each one of these prospects that get selected in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special, why they are considered worthy of first-round selections, and analysis from my co-host, Matt Williamson, as well as draft dudes Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, and the Locked On NFL Draft crew, Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak. If you're listening to this kickoff episode on a team-specific podcast, you can follow along all week, every pick, throughout round one, On the Locked On NFL channel, teams are talking trades, so you may not know exactly where your team ends up selecting. We'll conclude this draft next Friday, checking in with those teams in round two who didn't select in the opening stanza, some of which might jump into round one before it's all finished, and recapping everything that went down all week long. Matt, I'm pumped. Are you ready to do this thing? I'm very ready to do this thing. This is a very cool event. I think people will enjoy it. We've had so many new subscribers since last year that didn't get to enjoy it. So you're in for a treat. You're in for a wild ride and a really well put together whole situation here starting right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was one of the most popular. It was the most popular show on the NFL side of the network last year. And I expect it to be even bigger and better and the way things are right now in the world and wherever you are listening to this podcast, I hope you are well. And I hope this is something fun for you to listen to all week long. Matt, as the Cincinnati Bengals go on the clock with the opening selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft, you've been through this. What are teams doing in preparation the final days and minutes leading up to the first pick for those specific teams? Well, this year, who the heck knows? I mean, (laughs) I'm sure that there's things like, you know, the the electronics or or the IT people are coming to everyone's homes to make sure everything works, checking, double checking, doing all that kind of stuff. We mentioned before, you know, maybe you can run mock drafts in terms of let's try to just do a a whole walkthrough basically of how this thing's going to work. If we're going to make a trade, who's in charge of calling this team, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, in in the olden days and the not 2020 draft, most of the hay is in the barn really a day or two before the draft. I mean, you might be calling – agents of your favorite people to make sure that prospects didn't fall down the stairs or that knee that you're worried about isn't <laughs> flaring up. But for the most part, things should be done a couple days before the draft. Let's check in with some of our analysts here on the network. We have a pair of NFL draft shows, draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast, and let me just tell you, as a couple of Draft Dudes, we are really excited for this Locked On Podcast Network draft simulation where each host is going to make the picks for their team, and uh, I know it's not the real thing, but it's pretty damn close, and this draft promises to be very exciting with all the dynamics between the teams with multiple first-round picks and all the quarterbacks. So, Kyle, uh, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am. 
Yeah, the big mystery here is, from the quarterback perspective, how many can we get to go early? And then the other fascinating subplot is, when does the offensive tackle run start, and how fast does it go? Because there's generally considered to be four top offensive tackles. There's generally considered to be three top quarterbacks. Maybe a fourth with Jordan Love if he sneaks in there remains to be seen. And the order of all seven of those players who are feasibly top 12 talents coming off the board is going to be a really interesting scenario to see how it actually plays out here. I think just as interesting as the offensive tackle discussion is the wide receiver. Everybody knows this is a really deep and talented crop of receivers, but there's really exciting guys at the top of the board. You know, could we see six, seven, eight guys go off the board in the first round? When does that run start? And uh, who are those late first round guys that uh, teams that, you know, like the Packers or or like the Saints and Eagles and, and Vikings? Who do they get if they are uh, left kind of picking the later half of those top tier pro- prospects? So uh, offensive tackles, quarterbacks, wide receivers, the NFL is a passing league. And you can tell that this um, this draft is going to really help these offenses be more dynamic. Yeah, it's a deep class, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities to see players that in a typical class are probably off the board by 20. They might be lingering here in the late first round, early second round. So lots to look forward to, lots to get into. Looking forward to see how these teams start their drafts. Hey, everybody, Trevor Sykema and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast here with you. Excited to go on this journey of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben, this is going to be a lot of fun. There's so many things that could happen in this mock draft. What are you looking forward to most? Yeah, it's always nice when you're able to get 32 guys, each of whom knows their team as well as the host in the Locked On Podcast Network do, and they can control for their pick. And then you have the freedom for things like trade negotiations as the pick comes off the board. You have the ability for surprises as each individual analyst focuses on their guys. I think, number one, we're not. it's not going to be a typical mock. It's not going to be like what we no, see definitely when not. only one person controls all 32 teams. There's going to be a lot more aggressive moves, so I expect to see big trade-ups. I expect to see surprising picks, yep. and that's, that's the reality with these. When you're controlling just that one team, you go and get your guy. That's what we see in the league. I guess that's what we'll be seeing in this mock as well. I'm really interested to see how the offensive tackles go here in the first round because – it's just the possibilities are endless. We saw that in our guest mock draft series that we're doing on our podcast. But, I mean, what other positions are, are big ones? Quarterback, wide receiver, probably, right? Well, I think, yeah. I think that when you're making these sorts of picks and it's it's catered to your audience for your podcast, you're tempted sometimes to go for those sexier positions. And the sexy position in this draft is undoubtedly wide receiver. So, to me, I'm really interested to see. We know the big three will come off the board and Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. Who's wide receiver four? Who's wide receiver five? And just how many can we fit in this first round? Ooh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ben and I are going to be back with you recapping a lot of these picks throughout the mock draft. I'm very excited, so let's get it started. Okay, Matt, we're here. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. Is there any doubt what the Bengals should do here? They earned the right through their poor play in the 2019 season to be drafting number one overall on everybody's list. It seems to be the same name, the same prospect that should go first overall. If their phone is ringing, should they even be answering it, or do they know who the pick will be with the first overall selection in this draft? I mean, you answer it, and if someone offers you a godfather-like offer, you consider it, and you still might not even say yes. I mean, I think Burrow is the super prospect. He would go first in almost every draft, you know, nine out of ten years. 
that's a gift and the Bengals need it. He's an Ohio guy. They need to sell tickets. They need to sell jerseys. The offense that he falls into isn't in that bad a shape as first overall selections go. So I think it's kind of too good to be true. All right. With that, this draft is underway. Let's go to the hosts of Locked on Bengals and get the pick for Cincinnati. Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. With the first overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals easily and without second thought select Joe Burrow. In fact, Joe, we received no calls in the war room for the number one pick. I guess everyone just knows not to ask. And I don't think we would have considered any offers anyway. So we make this pick. This pick has really been made since maybe late December when the Bengals lost to the Miami Dolphins in week 16 of the regular season and clinched their first overall pick. Joe Burrow went on a tear in the playoffs after that. And the Bengals will finally get a franchise quarterback. First time they've drafted number one since 2003 when they drafted Carson Palmer out of USC. They're in that position again. The roster has been turned over on the defensive side through free agency. And I think they're looking at this squarely of saying our Super Bowl window opens again if we draft Joe Burrow number one in 2020. That's right. The Bengals don't just spend money to spend money. This is a strategic injection of funds into the defense to make themselves competitive while they have Joe Burrow on his rookie deal for five years. He's, of course, expected to come in and be a day one starter in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton is still on the roster, but will not be on the roster by the time training camp comes around. He might not even be on the roster by the time the draft is finished. We are looking openly to trade Andy Dalton for whatever assets we can recover. And if that doesn't work out, he'll be cut before Joe Burrow shows up for rookie camp or for the first offseason activity that we're allowed to hold with these rookies this summer. Joe, how much better does Joe Burrow make this team? Well, the quarterback is the most important position. And I think we're looking at a guy coming off a historic college football season that many have said is the best passing performance throughout a whole season in the history of college football. What does he do better than Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton has been the Mendoza line for starting quarterbacks in the league for a long time. And I feel like all of the skills you look for typically when you look at college quarterbacks, usually they are the big guys with the strong arms going near the top. And you say, can they function in the pocket? Do they have accuracy? How's their IQ? How's their processing? Uh, How do they do off script? All the questions you normally go into tape asking with Joe Burrow, those are all the answers you have with him based on tape and based on what he showed this past year. All of those things are not in question. He has them in spades. It's the arm strength, right? That's the only area you really question. And I would say it's very similar to Andy Dalton. So it should be an upgrade in almost every area of quarterbacking other than that. And that's okay because when you look at the best quarterbacks in the league over the last 20 25 years, whether it's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees, they all had those other features in their game without having a cannon for an arm. Simply put, Joe Burrow is the most influential recruit in LSU football history. In leading the Tigers to the 2019 National Championship, Burrow was fantastic, shattering school records and setting national marks that may not be touched. 5,671 yards and 60 touchdown passes for Burrow while completing 76% of his passes. His arm strength won't wow you, but Joe Burrow makes up for it everywhere else. His decision-making is elite, 
just six interceptions on the 2019 season. He's the son of a coach and a film room junkie. There's a story about LSU beating Alabama, getting back to Tus- from Tuscaloosa to Baton Rouge, and when Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, got to LSU football ops that night to go get the cutoffs of the film, Burrow had already beaten him there. Burrow has very underrated athleticism. Not only was he a high school quarterback, he was also a high school basketball player. And his ability to move the chains with his feet is something that many have overlooked throughout this process. Burrow is a fierce competitor whose teammates love him, who rises in the biggest moments. Should Joe Burrow stay healthy, he will have a long, prosperous NFL career as a franchise quarterback. This is Matt Moscona of Locked on LSU, your source for LSU and SEC content every day. All right, Matt, there's the pick. Joe Burrow goes number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, and there's a lot to like about Joe Burrow. I think maybe if you're nitpicking, you can find some knocks here and there about arm strength, which in some cases is completely overrated. And uh, I, I like what was said by many smart NFL people in the past that the quarterback position isn't so much played with your arm once you get to the NFL level. It's played from the neck up, and I think that's where Joe Burrow really shines. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he is a good athlete. He has a remarkable head and poise and confidence for the game, processing, accuracy, he does not have a power arm, and that worries me a little bit considering the area of the country he's going to when it's sleeting and windy and you know in the NFC North and late in the year. We'll see how he deals with that, but that by no means would slow me down from making such a pick. He's a tremendous prospect. More Locked On NFL Draft special coming up. The Washington Redskins are now on the clock with the second selection. So there you have it, a little taste of what to expect from the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Again, it's all week long on the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you check out Locked On NFL all week long. Episode 1 will feature picks 1 through 6. Episode 2 will feature picks 7 through 13. And so on and so forth until we get through the end of the first round by Friday, April 17th. So make sure you're checking it out on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. I hope we had some fun today. Well, there was a lot of ground to cover and could have gone a lot more deeper into that 1994 season. But again, we'll try to do that in a future episode because there's so much I want to go back and look back on with that regards to that particular season. Make sure you are subscribed to us on all your favorite podcasting apps such as iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Give us a subscription. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing, what we can do moving forward. We do want to hear from you guys. You can also reach out to us at any time on Twitter with your comments or your questions. Just check us out on Twitter at LockedOnNittany. Give us a thumbs up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. And check out our Instagram page. We are having some fun with the Instagram account. We go through, put up some Instagram stories with some audio clips from the various podcast episodes. Kind of give you a tease of what to expect in that current day's episode and so much more on the way. We're on Instagram at LockedOnNittany. Got that Twitch channel that's going to be up and running later this week, so stay tuned for that. Then we'll get into some live streaming. We'll figure that all out very soon. And again, my name is Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter at KevinOnCFB. And you can check out my Facebook page at Facebook.com slash McGuire. And check out my national college football coverage over on NBCSports.com on College Football Talk. Also on AthlonSports.com. 
If you're still craving some more Big Ten conversation, check out Locked On Big Ten on the Locked On Podcast Network right now. Tell your smart device at home to play Locked On Big Ten right now. That's it for me, guys. Thank you once again for listening. Go one to know today. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. 